Uh, we're going to be uh, continuing our uh, sermon series through the book of Romans. Just to remind you, if you've missed any past sermon uh, series, we do offer that through the podcast, which is available through any of your apps that collect those podcasts, but also through online on the website. Um, so you want to dive into that. That's always good. Um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, the over arching series name is Righteousness Revealed. And uh, today, as we're turning to Romans 15, if you like to take notes, the title of this sermon is The Ministry of Unity. The Ministry of Unity. We can see as uh, Paul has been done uh, coming to the close of this particular letter. That's kind of an amazing letter, right? 16 chapters. Sometimes when somebody sends me a text that goes beyond the screen, the bottom of the screen, I don't read it. He wrote a 16-chapter thing. I'm amazed that they sat there in church and read that, right? But we are coming to 15. You can see that he is highlighting a, a few things that Pastor Ryan touched on in chapters 14, and that's the importance of unity and love within our church. We are a Christian community, and the world is watching. And there is a message to be displayed, not just in us individually, but us as a family. And so we want to be encouraged through this text that there is a strong point for Paul to say, we need to learn how to accept and support one another uh, despite our differences and focus on glorifying God together, uh, especially more than just words through actions and attitudes. So we want to show that effectiveness of Christ in us as Christ unites us to him in spirit. Just think about that. Just think about this one single solitary thought that Paul walked us through. The problem. I think about the first five chapters of, Ro of Romans. God made you his dwelling place. That's like a crazy thought to me. No matter how many times people say it, uh, you ever walk into somebody's house and it says, bless this mess, you know, like that. And you're like, ah, I get it. But like, that's what Jesus did. Like he shows up and he sets up a, a sign at the, at the doorway of your heart and says, bless this mess. And it starts with him. It starts with the power of the Holy Spirit coming and revealing his righteousness to you. And then the reason why he does that is he goes, because I want to do something that was lost. I want to make a communion with you that was lost in the Garden of Eden. There was a time when Adam and Eve walked and talked with God as casually as we just did, like as we were walking in this morning. And that's a beautiful thing to say, that's what God created us for. And so everything that the Lord is doing to correct us, to get us back on that path, is to get us back to that moment, to that moment that we could be made righteousness so that we could walk and talk with God regularly from here to eternity. And so that's what the preparation is. And it starts with a ministry of uniting us to God, but then a, united, uh, a unity that comes from, from God to us, to each other, right? So as we're being united and made righteous and peaceful with the Lord, we become made righteous and peaceful with each other. And out of that overflow comes a ministry to the world that should be so attractive that they desire it because does the world have that? Does the world have unity with the Most High? Turn on the news. Does the world have unity with itself? No. You guys are chuckling because it's like, then, you know, that's what it is. It's all bad news when you turn on the news. There's no, like, real good news. Um, except for that one time a year, you get that one, like, local news report where somebody puts a squirrel, like, on a ski, and then they show that, and you're like, oh, that's the one good report they have, and then the rest are back to bad news, right, you know? Um, so if you can, join with me in chapter 15, and we're going to dive into the whole chapter tonight, and we're going to discuss what that ministry of unity looks like. So in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. 
So as we dive into this, you can see that this is kind of a callback to already what something he's touched on in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. He says, live in harmony with one another. If I could put out a challenge, this is kind of, I think about heaven looking down on um, Central Florida, let alone Sebastian, right? How many churches are in Sebastian? <laughs> Probably, right? And I just wonder if from heaven's point of view, God's like, isn't this great? We have so many churches that are divided from each other, even though that they would be open doors in local communities. And I'm not saying that there aren't good churches in this area, but from God's point of view, should there be other churches? Or should there be the church of Sebastian where Jesus Christ meets with us all and the word of God is professed and the spirit falls on his people and everything that was broken by the enemy is redeemed and restored by Jesus Christ and we don't really worry about all the other stuff. And then there's divisions that you can see that have popped up in all places. There's different names, different titles on all the churches. But should there be, it says, live in harmony with one another. And it's very simple. It's a simple call, right? If you are a stronger believer, then you should use your strength not to lord over somebody, but to pick them up and carry them to where you're at. That's something that we should be doing. We should be using our strength as a leadership to lead people to the truth. You see what it says right here. We who are the strong ought to bear with the what of the weak? The failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves because there's many reasons for us to have differences with people, but there's one great reason for us to be united. His name is Jesus Christ. And so you can see that, you can read that sentence and go, well, what does that mean? Does that mean I let somebody who doesn't believe what I believe get away with whatever they believe? Well, no, look at the next sentence, verse two. It says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good. Now, that doesn't say enable them. That doesn't mean allow them to get away with whatever, whatever they want to say and whatever they do. But what it does say to them is encourage them in your strength by your relationship to Jesus Christ. Not in your strength by yourself, but by your experience and encounter with Jesus. How many people have been encouraged by Jesus Christ in this room? How many people have been rescued by Jesus Christ? How many people have had Jesus Christ come into your life, remove what is bad, and replace what is good by his power and not by your power, and now you are the Christian that you are because of his good work inside of you? None of that took place by you. It all took place by the master craftsman, Jesus Christ, showing up, and I always like to say this uh, when I'm dealing with Jesus, okay, pull out your gentle sandpaper, Jesus because I know there's some rough edges that need to be done, but it, none of it was done by my power. None of it was done by my vision. It was all by him. And so what we should do is we should be doing this good, this betterment, this edification or encouraging people to grow closer to Christ despite their failings. Not just looking at that and lording over and going, look how much better that I am than you. And we want to love them the way that Christ loved them. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, Verses three and four, it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That could do a hard stop right there. No point should you point it out as something wrong in somebody else to make yourself feel good. We would have no tabloid culture at all, would we, if everybody abided by this, right? You ever just see those of the magazines that are on the way to the grocery store? You see the titles and like, so-and-so got married to an alien over the weekend. And you're like, I knew it. What a weirdo. <laughs> so much better than that person, right? But really what it is, is that's a position of making myself feel better by somebody else's failing. But what does that mean in your relationship to Jesus Christ? What does that mean to the work that God's doing inside of you? That's very personal. What is happening between you and Jesus Christ really has nothing to do with anybody else. Reason is, is because nobody knows what Jesus Christ knows. 
And yet, what is Jesus Christ doing? Is he giving up or is he continuing his good work? He's continuing. And so the Lord is like, let me do that. Now look at the, the next part of the sentence there. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And what is the interest of others? No matter where they started, we want to show them where they're going to end. And that's in the arms of Jesus Christ. Even if they made a mistake, even if they made a failure, uh, maybe it's something that we disagree with, but the point is, is that we want to point them to what God's doing in our life because we're not perfect. We're not perfect, but our Christ is, and that's how we can have that trust and faith. It's not I have a faith in me, or I, maybe even I have a lack of faith in me. I have a faith in what Jesus Christ is doing in me. So even if I fail today, can I still point you to Jesus Christ? Even if I'm doing great, can I point you to Jesus Christ? St. Augustine would say this so much better than um, anybody have ever heard. He says this, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. How much different would our relationship would be with each other if we just made sure that on the main things that we agree on, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that nobody can go to heaven but by the blood of Jesus Christ and calling him your Savior, that's what we agree on, then we've nailed down the essentials. What about the non-essentials? Let's not worry about that. Let's bring some liberty to that. Let's bring some place where we can say we have common ground and his name is Jesus Christ. So that if there is a place where somebody comes up to you and says Jesus is not part of the Trinity or Jesus is not holy or he's not the Son of God, then that's an essential. You guys understand that, right? So the case in point, you get that knock on the door. Somebody's like, hey, can we read from our Jehovah Witness Bible? And you're like, no, can you read from my Bible, the real Bible? You know what I'm saying? There's a place where we have a disagreement on essentials, correct? But what about a place of non-essentials? How about this particular place? We, and I'm going to say this in a Calvary Chapel, and look at the shirt I'm wearing right now. This is Calvary Chapel camouflage, right, right? This is, in the, this is in the lineage of Chuck Smith, this like Hawaiian style. But let me just say this. There's a time and a place where I grew up where people said you could only wear suits to a church or you did not honor God. Is that essential? No. Does God actually care what you wear? What I hope, some levels. I've seen when, you know, one time um, I wore a dirty shirt and I got scolded for it by everybody on the way out. This is when I was a teenager and I was like, yeah, you're right. And they're like, you know what Jesus would say? But my point in all of this is like, that's not an essential. And that's a place where we should have liberty. I, I've told this story before. I remember this one gentleman uh, came into church and somebody got on him because he wore a hat. And they ripped the hat off his hat and they threw it down the aisle and they said, you get out of here with your punk rock dressing. And uh, I remember that guy going to the back aisle and somebody else was back there and uh, they caught him. And they said, you come sit with me. And with tears in his shoulder, the guy cried through the whole service and he said, all I want to know is Jesus Christ. Did a dress code matter that day? Or is the righteous robes of Jesus Christ the more important thing? And so that day, that gentleman received the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. I would say that's the essential. The non-essential was the hat. But in all things, charity. Isn't that how true Christian love looks like? The desire to lay down how much better or how much further along or how much more spiritually mature than I am than you to get your betterment to come to the front, right? I want to make sure that you know Jesus, not that you know me. But if I can show you Jesus inside of me, all the more better. That's how true love lives. It leads by serving. And who served better than Jesus Christ? 
Was he not the greatest leader that we've ever seen? Was he also not the greatest servant we've ever seen? Look at verse 3. Paul jumps right on it. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insult of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. He's talking about the Old Testament. So that through endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So that if you walk in here with a suit or if you walk in here with flip-flops or if you walk in here with a hat, your, your hope isn't in yourself. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. It's not in your wardrobe. It's in Jesus Christ. And that's what's the most important thing. So what we are doing is when we're leading people to their betterment, yes, we know where they're starting, but what were you doing to get them to where they should end? In the arms of Jesus Christ. We don't want to be a deterrent. We want to be an attraction to how good Jesus Christ has been to us. So therefore, relaying that to other people. And that's why you can see uh, he's writing this right here. We're never going to fight uh, reproach or criticism of the word of God with more reproach and more criticism. Has that ever worked? I know this is a really bad thing to say, but you ever heard Monty Python say, hey, you ever want to have a five-minute argument or you want to have a 10-minute argument? And then the argument just ensues. That's how I see most Christian arguments start today. And most of them start on Facebook. And don't think Pastor Craig and I don't see it, just so you know. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It's just, a, it's just an echo chamber of argument. And where is Christ edified, right? Where is Christ glorified? And I just want to just remind you inside of that, that's what he's saying here is that we should respond to the world with quiet confidence in Christ. We don't need to respond to the criticisms of the world or even criticism, criticisms of other Christians if we know what Jesus is doing in our heart. That's why he says here, and this is what Jesus is saying, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. The reason why we respond with quiet confidence is we just want to further confirm that that person is bringing disunity as we are unified with God. If you've ever argued with somebody about Christianity and just kind of quietly sat there and said, okay, have you ever seen them get even more mad and more mad? And they're like, why aren't you saying anything? You're like, well, you know more than anybody, maybe even more than Jesus Christ, or do you want to go to the word and see what Jesus said? Now, I don't encourage you to do that on a daily basis because that could get really, really long-winded for you and you might lose some friends. But my point in saying is this, is that I've seen strong and mature Christians who do not let the highs and lows of life shift them or move them or shape them. They are led by the wind of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit moves, they move. I'll never forget this. One time I was shooting a video when I was in the production department in um, in uh, uh, Melbourne, and there was a gentleman, we were shooting these interviews for small groups, like showing all the different small group leaders, and this one guy came, and uh, he came to support one of the small group leaders who had just gone through a tragedy, and as he was sitting there, and he goes, well, I'm like, so we're only doing one person in the interview at a time, why are you here? He goes, I'm just here to support my friend, and the guy that was sitting there in the interview was just in tears, and he goes, I, I really need him right now. And I said, that's okay, take a moment. And then they prayed and then got ready. And then he walked behind the camera, this gentleman that was here to support. And I said, I said is everything okay? And he goes, no, we both lost our wives this week. But we are here to preach the word of God because that's what God would want and that's what our wives want. And I go, but how come you're not crying? And he goes, because I know more than anything God has me. I'll have my moment, but right now the Lord has me. And what's important is that God and I stay close together. Now, that's not a prescription of how you're supposed to act when you lose a loved one. But my point is, is I saw this mature Christian say, you know what's more important than somebody else? 
I'm not saying that you're a failure if you break down and cry. What I'm saying is that this person was driven by the power of the Holy Spirit to put the value of somebody else over him. And that challenged me greatly that day. That quiet confidence to do what God asked. Look at verse five. I want to just point out um, what we are experiencing in this book is also what that gentleman was experiencing. Look at verse five. It says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give, this, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can hear this in the scripture. Our God is a God of patience. And I wanted to let you know that if you're in a particular season right now where you're trying to put, you ever like try to put your foot on God's foot on the gas? Like, can we just go a little bit further to that blessing that I'm waiting for, or that healing or that miracle? God, I just, if you could just go a hair faster and it ever feels like that particular way, because I sometimes I say, Lord, you are, you're working too slow to bless. But it's the same attitude that I have when somebody cuts me off in traffic and I'm like, are you gonna deal with him? Right here, right now. You're going to deal with this guy, Lord? You're going to hit him with that bolt of lightning? Or do I got to take matters into my own hands, right? And now all of a sudden, you know that. But then what if the Lord turns that on you and he goes, well, what if I were to speed up how I'm dealing with you in this area that you're failing in your life? Well, Lord, why don't you put your foot off the gas and just slide over to the brake? Now our timings are a little bit different in a different direction. Lord, slow down. Lord, I'm going to get my stuff together. I'm going to tighten up. But Lord, if you could just slow down. God is working precisely to his plan. Do you understand? And what he's doing is impatiently working with you. But how much more would we accomplish if our endurance and our encouragement like rested solely on God? How good I'm doing, how great I'm doing, no matter what the situation, the God of my circumstances is working in my life. I'm not looking to push or pull or get in front of God or get behind God. All I'm doing is going, God, you are in control. You are empowered. You have the wheel. How much different would my life be? You know what? It would turn into this. I would be calibrating my life to the Lord and going in your way, in your power, in your timing, which means I would be uniting to God. Look at this, verse six. I would be uniting to God in my mind, and I would be uniting God in my voice. Thoughts and speech flow from the heart, right? And flow from the mind. And this is how we give God the glory. It's not just that we uh, know that the Lord is good. We declare that the Lord is good. There's a difference because it's good for me to know, you know, like we can say this, you know, like there's, there's no love like a mother's love, right? We can hear that all the time. And you can see it in movies. You can get it in Mother's Day cards, but it's nothing until you actually experience it. And then it manifests in your life, doesn't it? And you're like, now I know that to be true. Even though I know that's a true statement, now that I've experienced, now I know it's true. So that the God of the Bible is actually loving and good. I know that's what it says on picture. Uh, I know what it says in, uh, on movies. I know that what it says in the Bible. But do I know that to be true in my life? And then from there, I should be able to declare it because I'm understanding this. I trust you, God. I know you're good, but it's different for me to say you're good and you take the wheel. I know you're good, and I know when you come in my heart and you start getting rid of some of the things I don't want, I don't want to get rid of. There's some sins in my life. There's some comfortabilities. There's some distractions in my life that I know that you want to remove, but I'm not ready, Lord. But I trust you. So you begin to do your work. And from that, you know what you have? One mind, one voice. The glory of the Lord flows from your mouth. And you know what it comes from? A place of trust where all of your encouragement, all of your endurance, despite the situation, rests on God alone and not what you can see.
Look at verse seven. It says, accept one another. Then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs, so that's all the men in the Old Testament that got the word, so promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people, and again, praise the Lord. All you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And then again in Isaiah, it says, the root of Jesse will spring up. So that's the promise of God or Jesus Christ to come through the family of David, right? One who will rise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. Do you realize that because Jesus was true to his promises, that we were in this service tonight singing the praises of God as prophesied in the Old Testament because of the Lord's love for us? And he made his promises true. Nothing in us selected Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became the root that sprung up and came to the Gentiles. And you know, at the time, Paul is writing to a group of people that are in the Roman church. And this is what was happening in the Roman church at the time. The, the, the Roman church started with some local Jews that would put, you know, put some uh, synagogues together and put some time together, some small groups, some, some community groups, and then they became one big church. And then some Roman people got wind and became saved, right? And then they started going to church. But then Tiberius wrote a decree because some Jews were uh, not Jews in this church, but Jews that were doing money uh, things, money changing, were actually ripping off Roman widows, and so he wrote this thing, we can't trust the Jews, kick them all out of Rome. So what was left behind was just the Romans, the actual local Romans, right? And they ran the church. And then one day, another Caesar gave him a rule, hey, all the Jews can come back. So now the Jews are coming back, and the Romans who have been running the church are there, and they're like, come back in. And they're like, okay, so how should we do church together? I'm like, okay, no more bacon. And the Romans said, nope, not going to do that. Sorry, you can go find another church. That's not going to happen here. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's how it's going to happen. Like, no, we eat shellfish. We put bacon right around that shrimp. And that's how we do service in this church. And that's right. Amen. But he's writing to them right now to say this. Don't you understand that the main thing is the main thing? It's Jesus Christ, not what you eat. Look at verse 13. Look what he brings to the, to the Gentiles in the hope. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the laws of the Old Testament. Is that what it says? Kosher living? Hebrew national hot dogs? No, with the overflow of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what unites the Roman Jews and the Roman Romans together? The Holy Spirit. And what unites them together is what united them to God, the Holy Spirit. So the reason that we are here in a di well, different backgrounds, I mean, we could probably just go around the room and just ask who has a Lutheran background, who has a Catholic background, who went to a Baptist church, who went to a non-denominational church, and yet none of that matters in this room, does it? The only thing that matters in this room is Jesus Christ and the word of Jesus Christ being preached in this room. And that is what unites us here. And what it's going to do is we're going to carry that promise from here to eternity to do one thing, and that one thing alone walk and talk and with God and united with him in spirit. And that's the only thing that's left. Look at that. So that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to a point. Our fellowship with each other as God's family 
must be more important than our need to be right. That's a challenging verse to me. I am a pot stirrer by nature. I love when I see the van pull up in our neighborhood and the guys with the ties get out. I love when I see the guys on the dressed real nice get on the bike and I'm like, ooh. Because why? Not because I'm so much like at the time, I'm, I'm better at it now, but I was like, not so much that I want to uplift the Lord, but more that I want to stick it to them, right? You know, how dare you take Christianity and make it something it's not for the Mormons and for the Jehovah Witnesses, but that's not what it's about. The Lord would say, that's not how I would witness to them. I mean, how many times did Jesus Christ go to, you know, like sit with Nicodemus? Just think about Zacchaeus. I mean, two different ends of the spectrum, right? And it was the same Jesus Christ on point. Let me just give you my truth. Go and sin no more. You know, when God called us to this family, he didn't call us because we were awesome. He called us because we needed this family more than this family needed us. You know, I think about this all the time. It's like, I don't ever want to be picked last in dodgeball. That would just be so devastating. But that God doesn't pick you like that. There's no qualification. God actually qualifies you by his love when he picks you to come to the team. It's to say this. It's like, the reason why I called us all together is so that I could be your perfection because you needed me. And so what do we have in a room is imperfect people loving Jesus Christ because we're imperfect and we're just upholding each other and pouring into each other. Yeah, somebody's speech isn't perfect. They may drop a couple F-bombs every now and then. I don't encourage you to do that in church, but is that why we should drive them out? Or should we love them for who they are? And as Christ accepted them, we accept them. Now, does that mean we leave them the way they are? I might get some Dawn soap. There might be a little bit of that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) If you see me coming down the hallway, though, it's going to be great. (laughs) But you have to understand that that we are pouring into each other, edifying each other, lifting each other, binding each other's wounds. In what? In our own strength, in our performance? Look how good I'm doing? No. Can I show you what Jesus Christ has done to my wounds? Can I tell you what he's done to my speech? Can I encourage you by my leadership and by serving you and coming alongside you and not chastising you or lording over you how great I am? Can I show you how great my God is and what he's done in my life? I always think about this. There was this time we had a, a, an exchange student at our um, high school, and he was Italian. So everybody was like, oh, there's an Italian kid down the street. We all go to hang out with him. And then we did the, like, the quintessential American thing. Hey, you want to make some pizza? Let's show you how we make pizza in America. And I was like, such a, when I look back and now, such a dumb idea to tell an Italian how to make pizza. So we're in there making pizza, and I'll never, ever forget. He was like, this is good. This is fine. But you could look on his face. It's like, this is a debauchery. I don't know what you guys are doing. And there's somebody's putting wrong things in the sauce, and you know, I, this guy's not even doing the dough right. And he's you can just look, he's like, I remember, forget, he said under his breath, it's not even the right kind of flour. And he went like this, <laughs> and he just like he just crumbled to the ground. And I'm like, hey, you said that in English, and he goes, yes, I've been learning English. And so, um, I'll just never forget his face when this one girl, when we went to make our own pizzas and we went to put our toppings, and she pulled out pineapple and Canadian bacon. <laughs> And I'll just never forget, he was as still as a statue. And he goes, is there cheese on that? She said, yeah, is there sauce? And, he, and then she said, yeah. And he goes, are you happy? She said, yeah. And he said, just put it in the oven. Just put it in the oven. We're all here eating pizza. Just put it in the oven. We'll, we'll deal with the, and I go, is pineapple? He goes, pineapple should never, ever touch the pizza. 
I want to out you right now. Who's a, who's a Canadian? Who was a Hawaiian pizza? Yeah, raise your hands. Be proud. I, I dabble. Oh, we got some Italians in the crew. Don't make eye contact. Already dividing the church. This is the wrong sermon illustration. Um, but I, I, I want to say as we look at verse 13, just as, he, just as my Italian friend said this, you know, it's just amazing. It's just like, there's a lot of reasons why we could reject people. But we have one great motivation to receive them the way Christ received us. So if we are on, locked in on the essentials, let's be locked in on the essentials. On the non-essentials, let's bring liberty. And all things, let's bring charity. Uh, it's a beautiful thing when you look at that scripture, how important it is to see that when God brought us into the family, he didn't bring us in perfect. He didn't select us because we had any great qualities or skills or, or we brought something to the table that's really gonna knock Christianity out of the park. He brought us because we needed him. Right now, there's people in your life, and as soon as I'm saying this, you know that they need the Christ that's in you. It's time for us to bring that same kind of loving attitude towards them. I, I love this. I, I love when the Holy Spirit does this. I didn't have this in my notes, but I'm going to read you something from a, a devotional that I got this morning. And I was like, man, Holy Spirit, you should have given me that seven days ago when I was writing this, but what a perfect day to get it is today. A.W. Tozer says this in The Pursuit of God. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? That means they are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard, which is one must individually bow. So there's one tune that all the pianos are tuning themselves to, and they're all bowing down to that tune, right? So he says, so as 100 worshipers met together, like tonight, each one looking away to Christ are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be if they were try to become in unity and conscience, if they turn their eyes away from God to strive from closer fellowship. So let me interpret that just a little bit and write it down because Tozer's really good at making it sound really cool, but it's really wordy. If we are tuned to Jesus Christ, we are more easily to be tuned to each other is if we try to make up and be best friends without Jesus Christ. If we are all tuned to Jesus Christ in this room, I don't have to trust if you're gonna do a good job or if you have my best interest in my heart. I trust the Jesus Christ in your heart, which means that if we have differences or if we have a scrape or we have a disagreement, I'm not trying to appeal to you to get back on track. I'm trying to appeal the Christ in you and you should be trying to appeal to the Christ in me. And in doing so, we have just ministered to each other. Why? Because we brought Jesus Christ to the situation. We didn't bring any of our solutions to the situation. And if Jesus Christ can raise us from the dead, could Jesus Christ raise relationships from the dead? Absolutely. And so you can see that that is the ministry of unity to each other. And from there, we're going to go, we're going to go on a really fast part of this part of where he closes out 15 into the ministry that takes us beyond. So there's a ministry to God there's a ministry to each other that brings us in unity and out of that unity should come an overflow. Look at verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and, comp and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly and on some points remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. 
so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You hear what he's saying? Yeah, there are some weirdo Gentiles out there, and they got some weirdo thoughts. But by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I preach and the Holy Spirit sanctifies. I'm not really worried about their performance or their uh, report card as it relates to me. I worry about how it relates to Jesus Christ. So I will be faithful. I will continue to speak to the truth to those who need to hear it. And I will watch and like with faith and wonder as the Holy Spirit does the work inside of them. Look at verse 17. Look at the next part. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Isn't that amazing? I preach to the Gentiles, they get saved, and because I was faithful to what the Lord said to me and gave them my ministry, God was glorified. Look at verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what has been said and done and by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit from Jerusalem all the way around to, anybody want to try that one? I hurt myself earlier trying to say that word. Illyricum. I even had two different voice things say it, and I still hurt myself. Illyricum. I have proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have been hindered from coming to you. And so what Paul is saying in this particular moment, he's saying there is a priestly ministry that we've all been called to. And now that we have this unity with Christ and we have this unity with each other, we should be building ourselves up to be ready for this moment to go out and preach the word where the light has never been, to preach light to darkness, to preach the gospel to where there's bad news, right? To preach the good news where there's bad news, to bring hope where there is no hope. Because in here, we're chock full of it, right? We should be building each other. It doesn't mean our lives are perfect, but blameless before the Lord. We are forgiven and built up by the power of the Holy Spirit, redeemed and restored, right? But now we have become that, we now bring that out into the world. And that doesn't mean a mission trip. That means into your circles, your home, your friendships, your workplace. It's time for us to gather up the wounded and bring them to the hospital, which is the church. That's what he's saying right here. So that should bring us to our next point where it says, we are called to serve alongside Christ to bring the same ministry to the world that Jesus brought to us. That's all we're doing. If you look at verse 20, it says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. But if you jump back to verse five, he says it this way, and this is the launch pad for it. He says, may the God who gives endurance encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the Lord God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what he's saying is, as I found a home and a family inside of this church, I became something that I wasn't before. I became the revelation of Jesus Christ. Have you ever experienced a breakthrough in a part of your life that you just wanted to start worshiping Jesus right then and there? might have been a church, it might not have been, right? But it's so wonderful, you can barely keep it to yourself that you just start singing and you just start professing and you start declaring. And that's what he's saying. My whole life, my ministry, everything is coming from this place. I have received all of my encouragement. I've received all of my endurance from Christ Jesus because he saved me. Think about where Paul started, the guy that was murdering Christians to the one that now is making Christians. 
So for what he minused from the, from the family of Christ, he's now probably doubling and tripling as he sets up churches all over the Mediterranean. And so that's how he's saying the manifestation of all this ministry is to say this. First, we have a unity with Christ. And from that unity with Christ, we now have a unity with each other, right? That's verse five. And then in verse 13, he says, out of the overflow, hope just comes flying out of this place. Like as if these glass windows can't even contain us. There's so much hope, it's spilling out, and it's just pouring out. Do you ever remember the blob from the 1950s? They couldn't contain it. That's a weird, it was a weird sermon illustration, forgive me. But just imagine if like out of here, just the, the flow of hope just went out and consumed the city. Imagine a city consumed with hope in Jesus Christ. So what is God building here? Kind of like in our song that we were talking about, Hallelujah Below. Um, he says, you make an altar of broken stones. I want to put up this verse for you, Psalms 51, 17. This church should look like this as a starting point. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Do you know that there are broken lives that have been restored by Christ, and what comes out of us is a hallelujah because of his work in us? And so as that song said, I don't know if you remember in Exodus chapter 20, he said, bring to me an altar of stones. Then don't cut them. I just want them to be where you feel, just how you found them. And I want you to offer them to me. I want to remind you what First Peter says. So this is applies to us in this room as the offering that we gave Christ this service tonight. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you realize that we are the spiritual offering that the Lord delights in and so that the glory of the Lord is now rolling through Sebastian because there is a spiritual sacrifice that is taking place in here tonight? We are laying down our lives so that he could be glorified. We are decreasing so that he can increase. So what is God building in here? He's building a house. And I put this up as a note a holy dwelling place fashioned with purpose from the broken and rough and holy stones that are his people. Just think about, this is the greatest advertisement that we could give the world. All you broken stones out there, look at the broken stones in here. The only difference is the, the glory of the Lord is resting upon us. And that's it. And we didn't even select that. The Lord selected us for that. Broken stones preaching to broken stones. What a great advertisement. Christopher J.H. Wright has this amazing statement, and this really challenged me before I wrote this sermon. It says, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. If you've ever wondered if you have a calling on your life, You've just heard it. You are the living stones that God has built into a spiritual house. You know, this isn't just a church that we attend that we get filled up and go out, right? Like, you know, oh, I get my spiritual gas tank filled up. You guys are the church. It's not Craig's church. It's not Joey's church. It's not Ryan's church. You are the church. And everywhere you go, you bring that holy living stone with you. And you are on mission everywhere you go. And you don't have to bring anything other than what you know about Jesus Christ. Because as you've been resurrected from death to life, that's what you will like. You don't want to know what's so awesome about Jesus Christ? I used to be addicted to drugs. Now I'm not. I'm addicted to Jesus Christ. 
I used to be addicted to drinking. I used to be addicted to pornography. Now you know what I'm addicted to now? God's purpose and will in my life as I've seen him do amazing things to me. As I used to kill myself, now I'm living for the eternal life that God has put inside of me. Would you like to know a little bit more? That's the priestly ministry that we all have. And you don't need to go to school to express that to anybody because you lived it. You have no greater PhD in God's hand in your life than you. Nobody's going to explain that to you better than you. Nobody's going to reveal to you how good God has been to you more than God and you and alone in a room. And that's all you have to describe to the world. You are already on mission to bring the holiness that you have received to the world. And that is what Paul is closing with us on here. And he said, look at verse 23. He says, but now that there is no more places for me to work in these regions, isn't that a great, wouldn't that be a great praise report? Look, man, we're running out of people to hit up in Sebastian. We got to go over to Felsmere and Grant. We got to hit up some of them. He goes, since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. After I've enjoyed your company for a while, now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there for Macedonia and Achaia, where we pleased to make contributions for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in full measure of the blessing of Christ. So what he's saying is all this ministry that we've been talking about for 14 chapters, 15 chapters, is flowing in me, but it belongs to all of us, and it brings it to you, and then it should overflow into the world. Look at verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying for God, to God for me. Pray that I must be, may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably, favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I come to you with joy by God's will and your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. I just want to remind you the most important thing that has been re like revealed in us, and we say righteousness revealed is the name of the sermon series, is that that righteousness revealed in us is not something that stops to us. We're not spiritual dams. It's not like righteousness of the Lord hits us and it stops there and doesn't flow anywhere else. It's a gift that's given to us, but then it's given to the world through us. Um, I want to put up this last slide. Uh, it's our mission statement, and you can see it on the posters that Pastor Craig had made, and it's really, really great, but I want to remind you, everything that has been put in these chapters have led up to this moment. Our mission is we exist to glorify God by being a loving community. That's a challenge, right? Because the church is full of people, right? And as Seinfeld said, people are the worst. But that's not what the challenge is. The challenge is not to be pointing out anybody's fault. It says we exist to glorify God by being a loving community where people are saved, set free, discipled, empowered, and sent out to fulfill their God-given calling. I want to let you know something. Nothing about that is clean. Everything about that is messy. How do you know how messy it is? Look at Jesus Christ on the cross. How much work did he have to do to get you into a place of salvation? That is how we must lay down our lives to lead by love and to serve others. Remember Jesus Christ on the night of the Passover? He got down and he washed feet. 
win, disciple, and send. That is how we manifest both this, this point. And I want to read verse 13 for you one more time before we close. I want you to hear it. May the God of hope fill you 